0: Welcome to the Pick Six Podcast. Happy holidays, Happy Memorial Day. If you're listening to this, that's right. We need to know. I need a bell check drop. No days off it was we're not taking any days off from Memorial Day. I'm traveling right now. I am Will Brinson, your host of the Pick Six Podcast. Thank you for listening, wherever you may be at the pool. Uh, actually, that would be weird. Don't listen. If you got headphones, listen to the pool. Maybe don't listen to the pool with like other people there. It's uh, your barbecue. Maybe you're turning people onto the show by listening to your barbecue. Whatever you're doing, we thank you for listening um spoiler alert this is pre-recorded but that doesn't mean that we won't be drinking beer with you and talking about the buffalo bills and the nfl draft what better way to do to spend memorial day than talking about the buffalo bills and the draft than hanging out with chris trapasso of cbs sports what's going on buddy
1: how's it going will thanks for having me on
0: it's going well all right let's do uh let's get this beer to but actually first things first subscribe rate review tell your friends seriously if you're at a if you're at a well, hell, you won't be listening to this until Monday. So maybe you listen on Monday morning. If you're if you're if you listen to this on the way to your barbecue, tell one person at your at your at your actually barbecue's a, a noun. Okay. If you're telling one person at your cookout, tell one person. <laughs> tell a friend. Uh tell them to subscribe and you can hit that rate and review button. Thanks for always. Beer News. Chris Chris listens to the show. Much appreciated. And yep. um you, met, you you mentioned that you were excited to be able to drink a beer while recording the show ideally we this show would be recorded you know at like eight or nine a reasonable
1: time to be having a beer this is a re- this is we' yeah, reasonable we're, we're, you checked though before just to see like how early is it
0: well, yeah, so we were going to record this at two thirty on Thursday just to you know pull back I like to let everybody know how this works <laughs> you know no reason to for any subterfuge. And then my power flickered and went out, and so we had to bump it back to 440-ish on 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 Thursday. But that works out well because we can both drink. 440 is an acceptable time to drink for a 30-minute sure. podcast because you will cross into that magical uh, number of 5 o'clock. You, I, I am drinking, I'm back on the Sierra Nevada wagon. People know that I, I like hazy little thing. I'm drinking their Tropical Torpedo IPA. I was a little concerned that this would be like their Torpedo a a cranked up ABV because the torpedo is a double IPA. But this is a um it is I think it's like six point six point seven percent ABV, which is not bad. Uh I don't I don't really buy it I don't know about you traps, I don't really buy into this the like I like reading beer descriptions, but sometimes I get a little annoyed by the the big breweries that do it. it's like inspired by the island life, we created an IPA completely disconnected from the mainland. We use our one of a kind <laughs> hop torpedo to deliver an intense rush of hop flavor and the lush aromas of mango, papaya, and passion fruit with every sip. It's, come on, come on. Like, I get it. Like, that was appealing when I was reading it, but a little over the top. It's a good IPA. It's, uh, it's not super hazy. And I think I'm starting to go away from hazy IPAs. I believe you're drinking one, right?
1: I am drinking one. I'm drinking a southern tier. The psychic laser. It's a part of their science is the art. It'll blast your, it'll
0: blast your face.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's, they've been coming out with these every couple months. Just came out. It's a double unfiltered double IPA, which I'm not really sure what unfiltered and filter what how that changes taste wise. Um, well,
0: unfiltered is basically means New England basically means hazy. Unfiltered is the, is, is the new hotness. Like if you, you, you can now find like popular, IPAs that are that are West Coast style that will sit on the shelf because they're not hazy because that's just what's in. It's weird how that yep, works. Yep.
1: Um, and it's weird too that I've been into like double IPAs for like a, a few years now and like my like taste buds have totally transformed. Like a beer that I used to like now I think is too piney or too hazy or whatever. Um, but right now it's a pretty good beer. Southern Tears, an awesome brewery south of Buffalo. Um, they do good imperial stuff. So I wanted to try it and it's pretty good.
0: Yeah. We were talking about their pumpkin, which is a great introductory pumpkin beer. I don't like it anymore. I used to like it. Um, but I don't, I don't like pumpkin beers anymore. I'll drink dogfish pumpkin, pumpkins sometimes, um, in the fall, but I've sort of gotten away from the pumpkin beers entirely. And the pumpkin, my, my issue with the pumpkin is that it's, it's too sweet now. I used to think it was delicious and tasted like pumpkin pie and it does, but now it's just too sweet for me.
1: Yeah, no, I can see that. And they have a, um, imperial wheat beer called three citrus peel out that is just a bunch of different citrus peels in it. That's really, really good. And they're all like eight, nine, 10%. So you have like one or two and you're going into dangerous territory. I actually
0: have a, but- a, an, a double IPA from southern tier in my fridge that I was going to grab when I saw yours, but that's, I've got to, I mean, that's too, it's a little too high for me. I've got to, I sort of wade <laughs> yeah. into that and then, I usually make the mistake of, of drinking a high ABV as like my fourth beer. Like I'll drink a big stout as my fourth Bad beer. idea. Then, yeah. Feels yeah. like crap the next day. Um, also feeling terrible the next day when he wakes up and figures it out. Richie Incognito, not a great, uh, 24 hours for Richie Incognito. And in all seriousness, the, the mental health aspect of this is really concerning, but Richie Incognito was, uh, detained. I don't think he was arrested he was detained at, by the police at a lifetime fitness in Boca Raton Florida and this is from the police report that we have obtained and this is uh officer Rosenthal and I met with Incognito this is just I'm reading straight from the police report met with Incognito in the outdoor pool area. I asked Incognito to tell me what was going on. Incognito stated he was just training and that, quote, there's a guy walking around with headphones on. I'm running NSA class level three documents through my phone. I can't have anybody in Bluetooth capability of me or taking pictures of me. I asked Incognito to tell me about his phone and the government's involvement, but he told me he couldn't talk about it because he was under contract and asked who I was under contract with. When I asked why the government was trying to watch him, Incognito told me I didn't have high enough clearance. It should be noted that Incognito's speech pattern was very erratic. He would suddenly change the subject matter to something different. This is a very, very bizarre scenario involving Richie Incognito and very concerning for his
1: general well-being, right? Yeah, I mean, over the last two months, um what we've seen with Incognito has been kind of strange because in March, the Bills wanted him to take a pay cut which certainly a lot of veterans even if you are um a good player which incognito is not an elite guard anymore but he's still one of the better guards in the league he's going to be 35 when um the regular season starts um and he agreed to it he probably wasn't happy about it and he actually and, and this tweet is kind of like resurfacing um he actually tweeted like hey let's Let's go get it next year. Let's take the next step. Bills Mafia was a picture, I think, with him and Sean McDermott on Twitter um, walking off the field. Seemed to be totally fine at that point. He accepted the pay cut. He took it. It was official. It was reported. That was in March. And then all the crazy stuff has happened with him wanting to retire, with him wanting to get cut, with the Bills releasing him from the retired reserve list, whatever that is. And now this. Um, And then part of that – was that he you know was having erratic speech and was doing like crazy motions and moving around erratically like in the last 2 months I don't know what's been going on but it is pretty scary.
0: Yeah, it's a really weird situation. You know, we'll obviously update the situation as it unfolds. This is just what happened on Thursday um and I'll pop, you know, if something if you so you know anyway. Yeah, it, look, if, look, I hope Richie Incognito gets better, but I I have this is not his first episodic issue that he's dealt with. Uh, you know, from a Bills perspective, I, and I think it's fair to say he's probably not going to play in the NFL in 2018, given that he's talked about his kidney failure and then this happens. From a Bills perspective, where does this leave the Bills? And he was gone anyway, but sure. Yeah. Wh- where is the Bills offensive line now? Do you have any faith in the Bills offensive line?
1: Um, not as much as I did over the last couple seasons. Um, I think it was kind of an underrated group. Deion yeah. Dawkins. Though, at left tackle, he's not Trent Williams. He's not a Tyron Smith who came into league and just kind of took over right away. But the last eight to ten games of the year, like, you would watch a game and you always, like, kind of hear this cliche about offensive linemen. You wouldn't hear about him. No holding, no, holy crap, this guy just whiffed totally, and Tyrod Taylor got crunched. He played very well at left tackle when Corey Glenn couldn't stay healthy. Um, the rest of the line, though, I mean, Incognito was still pretty good. Eric Wood was overrated at this point. People loved him in Buffalo, but he was not that great of a center. Um Right guard, John Miller, two years ago, I thought was really good in his second season. Got benched like after the second game last year, never played again. And then right tackle has kind of been a problem. Jordan Mills has played better or or they've gotten good value out of um Mills after being kind of a street free agent, but he's not a good right tackle. They have some kind of cast-offs from other teams that could be penciled in i like wyatt teller we can get to that potentially later their uh, fifth round pick out of virginia tech i think he's going to ultimately start maybe not week one but i think he'll get considerable wow. playing time and ryan groy is someone that's kind of been forgotten with a lot of these marshall newhouse and russell bodine um, guys that they brought in who I, are not very good Ryan Groy stood in for Eric Wood two years ago at center after he broke his leg in that crazy Monday night game against the Seahawks and oh, yeah. played pretty well. He's not tremendous, but I think he's better than Bodine. Um, so yeah, this offensive line is not really that good. Um, But I think the loss of Eric Wood is, is not really that huge of a deal, but the other left guard, right guard and right tackle, there's, you know, decent, um, just overall question marks at those positions.
0: Yeah, and Pete Prisco had uh, Dion Dawkins as one of his ten breakout stars for 2018. So at least there's a bright spot there. I mean, I think it's important to note for the, the Bills that even though they made the playoffs last year in 2017, that they did it as a rebuilding team. Like they mm-hmm. didn't.
1: I don't. They overachieved last year
0: substantially. Overachieved, and their over under is like six games and maybe six and a half games again. Um, I think it says a lot about Sean McDermott as a coach and what and even LaShawn McCoy talked about this last year, how he's like, we don't have any business winning these games. It might also say a lot about the state of the AFC where it's very top heavy. There weren't a ton of good teams. Um but Buffalo is not trying to build on a playoff appearance and make a Super Bowl run this year. You know, they are they are very much rebooting and they, they took another hit too, Chris, because this uh and by the way, folks should follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. And read his stuff on CBS Sports. That's a no-brainer. Uh, but Zay Jones underwent knee surgery and is going to miss the rest of the offseason. Zay Jones, loves Zay Jones in college, went to ECU, second round pick in 2017, uh, ha- target monster with the, with the Pirates, uh, did some weird, uh, uh, uh what was it? He did like a moonwalk, a ghost moonwalk at some point
1: where he like he didn't have any clothes on and he. Oh no! no. I meant on the field. Remember that? Remember that oh, game? Oh, on the field. You're talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was the, talking oh, about the off season. Yeah. That, that was another incognito aspect. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. He like he
0: like wigged out and like jumped through a naked through a plate glass window. I don't know, it's a whole. Anyway, he had knee surgery. He's gonna you know miss the off season and he'll theoretically be ready for the season, but I don't know just how ready he'll be when he's working with you know what amounts to you know. Two thirds of the quarterback room being new, and we'll get to that in a second. I mean, how worried about are you as a Bills fan about this skill position group that is highlighted by Kelvin Benjamin and and uh, and Chris and Charles Clay at, at the you know receiving option? Certainly, Lashawn McCoy is good, but running behind a questionable offensive line.
1: Yeah, it's a huge concern. Um, I I don't really understand, and I think it kind of speaks to what you said that this is kind of a rebuilding team. Um, but I don't and. If you're just looking at it for 2018, I don't understand like what they're trying to do whether they think Nate Peterman, AJ McCarron or obviously Josh Allen are going to start like and they're going to send them out there with not a great offensive line and this receiver group, Jeremy Curley they signed in the offseason who's been in his prime I guess, a serviceable slot guy, they have Andre Holmes. Zay Jones had a pretty bad rookie season last year. Yeah. He had one of the like I think one of the worst catch rates, you know, targets to catches in the league. Um struggled with drops. I think he only had one or two touchdowns. So it's a a big concern, I I do think, and I tweeted about this before the draft, not knowing that the Bills were going to draft Josh Allen, obviously, that I think what the Eagles and the Rams did over the last two years, they were aggressive to get their quarterbacks. The first year, Wentz and Goff were not good, and what do those teams do in the offseason? They signed Sammy Watkins, they signed Robert Woods, they signed Andrew Whitworth, they signed John Sullivan at center, the Eagles got Alshon Jeffrey. They signed some good linemen. So they kind of said, hey, we're you know, first year, yeah, we certainly don't want to put out bad receivers, but let's load up. We're, we're not going to have a lot of picks. Let's load up on cap for the second season on cap space and then be able to spend and bring in some guys. Next year's receiver class doesn't really look that good in terms of free agents, but you never know who can be, you know, not signed to an extension or be released. So yeah, this receiver group is one of the worst in the league right now. Um, But it's almost like, and you would be the perfect guy to talk to about this, that they're almost going the the 2013, 2014, 2015 Panthers route. Mm. Like when they went 15-1, Greg Olson led the team with 77 catches. Second on the team was Ted Ginn. That was the year obviously that Kevin Benjamin was out with an ACL. Like we, I remember thinking of that team and going, who is Cam going to throw to? And they went 15-1. They yeah. played great defense, ran the ball. This Bills team is not to that caliber, but I think. With Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, that's what they're trying to do. They, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's counter to the rest of the NFL, but I think they want to win games like 17, 14, where they run it 35 times and they get great linebacker play, great defensive line, um, and not put so much, um, on a pass to pass basis on their quarterback, maybe get a couple long shots from, uh, Josh Allen and that be enough to win games. I, I, I think just. Those guys being, you know, Panthers guys, that's what they kind of want to build and what are they're starting to build in Buffalo.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I was looking back at the over-unders, uh, and I took the under on the Panthers in 2015 at like eight games and it wasn't a, no, that like, wasn't crazy to yeah, do Yeah. I, mean, I mean, like after the, the
1: Benjamin injury too. Yeah.
0: Kelvin yeah. got hurt in the, uh, in the, in training camp towards ACL. It looked like they weren't going to have anybody to catch passes. The offensive line wasn't supposed to be good. I mean, that's the thing is, we assume when we look at these offensive lines at the depth chart and look at you know you look at all the players that are playing and you're like that offensive line can't be good sometimes with an offensive line the sum is greater than its parts and i think if you're buffalo you have to really uh, you know hope that that happens you mentioned josh allen who should start at quarterback in week 1 for the buffalo bills and who will start at quarterback in week 1
1: well, like you mentioned before, these are new guys all coming in. I mean, Nate Peterman was there last year, had the famous five interceptions and in, in one half against the Chargers, which it was that was such a weird Should situation. Should have cost
0: the Bills a playoff berth, but
1: Yeah, that was such a weird situation because Tyrod Taylor was coming off a couple of really abysmal performances. One at home, Saints and Patriots were like he was something like I don't remember specifically, but it was like eight of fifteen for 40 yards in the whole game. Like he was like afraid to throw, got sacked a lot. The Bills got blown out at home. There are only two losses at home last year, randomly. But so I don't think, yes, yeah, Sean McDermott made the wrong decision because and and I was kind of a, you know thinking this was going to happen that offensive line against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram on the road. Nate Peterman, this fifth round guy who. Did have some pro-style elements at Pitt, but I did not think he was ready for that. And in, like, the first three drives, he just got destroyed. Calvin Benjamin actually went out in that game with an injury on the first drive. But so if he's your only quarterback coming back, and there can't be really a ton of faith in him, Um I have kind of heard that they really like him. He's one of those practice stars. Like, he's really mm. good in practice. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't absolutely stun me if he starts week one. A.J. McCarron, I think, um, was – Anything that he did that looked good in 2015 was boosted by that really loaded Bengals team that was randomly just, you know, with Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, AJ Green, great offensive line. I think he was more boosted because of that. So I don't really think there's any reason to think that he's going to come in and be this, you know, Tyrod Taylor 2.0. So I, I really can't give you a specific answer because I think you have to give me a specific answer. Who should, who would would you start if you were the Bills coach? I, I would start. I would start Peterman just knowing that he's like been in a few, like in what, like, uh, three quarters, like he played in at the end of that playoff yeah. game. Um, just because I, I don't think he'll be as much of a deer in the headlights. I mean, obviously McCarron's played a little more, um, but just he's in, the, he's been with his coaching staff, different offensive coordinator. I, I would play him, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't like necessarily wait forever to play Josh Allen because sure. again, I, I, I think, Sure, he's going to throw some interceptions, he's going to miss guys, but if he hits a a 40- and a 50-yard touchdown, then I think what they're trying to do, that's kind of like will be enough in terms of they want to run the football and play good defense. And I don't think Peterman or McCarron are anything that are a long-term solution at all.
0: It it interests me that the team that has Josh Allen are the same guys who, and you point out the Panthers connections, had Cam Newton. Not that I think that Cam Newton and Josh Allen are similar prospects, but they are both – Big physical, um, accurate, deep down the field, lacking touch in short areas. Cam is clearly a superior uh, yes. runner, and 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 much you know, like like they're not going to run a bunch of read option stuff with Josh Allen. But I was talking about this with Joe Person on the show. I don't know if you listened to that one or not, but the Panthers in 2011 came out of the gates firing with this like. Downfield stuff. Protect and chuck it deep. Chud yep. Chudinsky offense and it worked really well. Cam set records in his rookie year. So maybe there's something there. I mean, I don't know that they have the pieces. They, they brought in Kalen Clay and they have... They don't have the pieces. A guy named Brandon Riley that I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about. Andre Holmes. um Kelvin Benjamin was... Confusing out of Florida State and, you know, caught a, had a thousand yards as a rookie, but he's really inconsistent. You know, Zay Jones, as we pointed out, is hurt. I I mean, Jeremy Curley, like they just don't, that's the problem is they don't have the field stretchers that you need for that sort of attack. Now, Brian Dayball, I would, I would assume is going to run, you know, something that is, for lack of a better phrase, pro style, in that he wants to run the ball heavily with LaShawn McCoy yep. and takes a play-action shot. So, from that perspective, I do think it makes a lot of sense to go, you know, the route of of Josh Allen and play him, especially if you don't believe that you're going to be a team that's going to be in the wild card hunt. Put Josh Allen in there and let him take take his shots and get his reps.
1: Yeah, and I think in training camp, I don't necessarily think really at all that Peterman or McCarron are. Going to be these super steady guys in July, even in the preseason. And I think Josh Allen is going to make mistakes, but his obviously, and and this is kind of what the deal with his college film was. His wild plays are going to be something that Peterman and McCarron couldn't even dream of doing. So I think physically, do yeah, yeah, Yeah. that that there's going to be too many of those, you know, instances where it's like, oh, Peterman, you know, if he tried that pass, it would have fell ten yards short. But Josh Allen was able to throw, you know, a forty yard pass on a dime across the field. So I, I don't think, I mean, last year people thought the Bills going into the season, they were tanking, they were with the Jets, they have the worst roster. And so I, I don't think that the Bills are like, hey, we're going to be terrible because they, they didn't really try to be terrible last year. Obviously they went nine and seven. Um, but I think they would have to know just looking at the roster at this point that, like you mentioned, yes, there are parallels. To Cam Newton to the Panthers, that they're not to where that twenty, even 2013, 2014, certainly not the twenty fifteen Panthers are personnel wise.
0: Um, I had a written down here. Talk me to this offense being good in twenty eighteen. We're gonna skip that because I don't think you can do it. I think you're no, lying. not really. Um, but do, <laughs> you don't need to lie to me for three minutes. Um, <laughs> does the defense make this team potentially the second best team in the division? And I don't mean that in a way that the defense is necessarily. Good. But they added Tremaine Edmonds, who's a really, you know, I mean, he's, he's like 19 right now, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy. They still have Lorenzo Alexander. Um, Micah Hyde was a great find in free agency from last year. Tredavious White could have been the rookie of the year in any other season. Um, Shaq Lawson is back. Jerry Hughes is there. There's some talent here. And I think that Sean McDermott's MO has been to get the most out of the least at every stop, both as a head coach and as a defensive coordinator. And Leslie Frazier, kind of an underrated DC as well. Um, can this defense turn the Bills into the second best team in the AFC East?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not out of the question, I don't think. I mean, over the last three years, um, I, they've, I think, been the second best team in the AFC East. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, you know, you're automatically in the, in the, uh, wildcard race, like, you know, a team in the AFC North or AFC West. Um, but, the Jets to me have a similar type of roster that they don't have a lot of stars. Who are they, you know, who's Sam Darnold or Teddy Bridgewater or Josh McComb going to throw to? Um, the Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill, if he comes back, I, I think could be, you know, just that middle of the road quarterback that he's kind of been, but the Dolphins, you never really know what's going to happen with them. Um, and like you mentioned and, and you know, as a Panthers guy, that I think that's a good point about Sean McDermott that gets a lot out of that defensive line. It's it's the opposite, and it's kind of funny. This is what teams always do. It's the opposite of a Rex Ryan defense, which is so intricate, and defensive tackles dropping. Sean McDermott is like four down linemen, get up field, linebackers make plays. And last year, when I said earlier that the Bills overachieved, I was mainly – we kind of knew what we were going to get from the offense. LeSean McCoy, Tyrod Taylor. But the defense, like, they had no depth whatsoever. They they were relatively lucky on the injury front. Shaq Lawson got lost halfway through the year, but that was pretty much it. And they traded Marcel Darius, and they were in that playoff game. Cap Cappy was out there um, taking considerable snaps. Um, they did not have this super deep Carolina Panthers, Seattle Seahawks type of defensive line. And the defense was actually pretty good last year, mostly because of the secondary and with them playing so much zone. Tredavious White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde are just watching quarterbacks. They uh, Both the safeties had five interceptions last year. I don't think the Bills should expect to get 10 picks from their starting safeties every year. But I think McDermott's system is just very simple. Watch the quarterback, see the ball, get the ball. And adding Edmonds, adding Harrison Phillips in the third round, they do have a little more depth. I think Trent Murphy... Um, one of their free agent signees um, missed all of last year with an injury. Was turning into be a, a, a pretty good kind of Sam linebacker defensive end for the Redskins. So they have more depth there. They don't have a superstars. Kyle Williams came back. here. Hughes is solid. So yeah, I think they could just almost solely based on their defense be the second team in the AFC or the second best team in this in the AFC East. But how many wins is that? Is that I mean, with the Patriots almost running? Five. Yeah, I mean I. I think the Jets are, are, like I said, in a similar boat and the Dolphins are such an enigma every year. They almost are perpetually seven and nine, eight and eight. So if, if the Bills could eke out seven wins, I think it will mostly be because of the Sean McDermott coach defense that has added some decent parts.
0: So would you take the over or under on six and a half wins for the Bills in, uh, in 2018?
1: Yeah, I realize that I'm going to have to start talking about gambling more with this SCOTUS thing. So, um, (laughs) I'll, I'll say just under at this point until I see something, you know, remarkably different from what I expect in training camp or the preseason from Josh Allen or the offensive line or receivers. I'll say just like six wins seems about right.
0: They got a brutal schedule at Ravens to open, Chargers at home in week two, at Vikings in week three, at Packers in week four. I mean, if, if you win one of those, good job by you, Buffalo. Then they get the Titans who could be good at home in week five, at the Texans, at the Colts. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you know, and then Patriots at home. So you're looking at it through eight weeks. I mean, honestly, Chris, if you're 2 and 6, like you've done a pretty good job.
1: Yeah, they have like 4 of the last 6 at home most yep. of those in December. So, I think if they're anywhere near 500 going into that stretch, they'll be ecstatic. I mean, if they're whatever, if they're 4 and 6 at that point, um I think they'll be happy, you know, just By by the, by the so by the by the like way, insane. the
0: argument against Josh Allen in week 1. Um Ravens, Chargers, Vikings, Packers. You don't, don't start him at, don't start him at, you don't need to start him in Baltimore in week one. You don't need to start him against the Chargers in that pass rush. Let Nate Peterman have some uh, PTSD (laughs) from, from last year. You definitely don't need to start him in Minnesota. You definitely don't need to start him in Green Bay. I don't think the Titans defense is going to be bad, but week five. At home against the Titans when you're 0 and 4 seems like a right place, right time to start Josh Allen. I know you don't want to hear that as a, as a Bills fan. I will be taking the under on Buffalo. Let's talk about the 2019 NFL draft. Who is your, and and look, I know it's a long way away, but it's Memorial Day. You people got nothing to do. You want to hear about the draft and uh, Chris has been studying up on it. Who is your number one pick right now in the 2019 NFL draft? Who's the best Uh, player?
1: Nick Bosa and watching him is like Joey Bosa. It's like weird. It's like he got transformed from the Chargers back to Ohio State. I remember <laughs> when Joey Bosa was just victimizing the Big Ten. It was like, oh, he's got a little brother. I'm like, oh, little brother. And now Nick Bosa is like 6'4", 270. Like he's huge. Um, Plays almost exactly like him. Like, I mean, that's kind of boring and it might seem lazy, but watched six or seven of his games from last year. Same kind of guy, a lot of burst, uses hands like really strong already and he was only 19 years old last year. Mm. Um, and, and this defensive line class is kind of, I think going to be as hyped as the quarterback class was this past year. Obviously not as marquee of, of positions. Um, but from defensive end to defensive tackle, it's going to, I mean, this is the, the, or next year's uh, draft is when you want to add someone on the defensive line early because these are not just, in 2019. Hey, so, these are, yes, these are potential like Aaron Donald, Joey Bosa type guys, and there's like four or five or six of them that are really, really good. Yeah, and that was my
0: parlays well right in my – I don't know if parlays the right, word today, but dovetails nicely to my next question. What is the biggest strength of this draft class 100 days out from the college football season? And your your answer could honestly be Clemson's defensive line. Like Clemson's, yeah. Clemson's got four. Clemson's gonna have four first round picks on the defensive line.
1: Yeah, I remember writing draft stuff for in 2017 for the 2018 draft, like during the season. That's like my job for CBS, and thinking, okay, this guy's gonna come up for Clemson. Um, this guy, this guy. Like there was three guys: Christian Wilkins, uh, Clellan Farrell and Austin Bryant was positive they were all going to come out, and literally none of them did. And Dexter Lawrence was like this five-star, superstar recruit that couldn't come out because he was a true sophomore at like 6'4", 340, that's just mammoth nose tackle. So they literally bring back their entire defensive line that was so good even two years ago when those guys were younger. um, They're going to probably have two or three go in the first round and have four go in the first two rounds. Um The ACC is in trouble, at least on the offensive lines.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a uh it's a it's a it's a problem. They're going to be really good. I think the over under for Clemson is ten and a half wins, and I like the over. I don't I don't I just yeah. don't see how they're I don't see who they're losing to. To be perfectly honest, what um what are some some risers or some? I mean, look, again, it's a long way off. Lots of different things happen in the leading up to college football. Who are some people that that folks could be keeping an eye on as we sort of head into the the, you know, the, the, the lead up to college football. And and as you sort of, you're sitting around at the Memorial Day, you know, you know, you know, I got my eye on this, this coming college football season, this guy.
1: Yeah. I think it's always fun because like college football is less than what it's like 90 days away. Like the, like opening kickoff and just kind of prepare yourself for who am I going to watch? Not just because college football is awesome, but just who is going to be that, you know, top 10 pick or, or, you know, first round guy, number one overall pick. Um So that's kind of the angle that I like to take. I'll start with one guy quick because he's not going to be on a lot. Carl Granderson, the defensive end from Wyoming. Um, he had 16 tackles for loss last year and eight and a half sacks. He's another one that I thought could have come out last year and would have probably been a second or third round pick. Big. Um, he, he's not, I'm not going to say he's the next Marcus Davenport, but he's kind of that mm. type. He's like six five, looks like he could gain some weight and it's just ferocious. He's not playing against the best offensive tackles in the country. And then to the other side of the ball, it's in your neck of the woods, your alma mater, I believe. Kelvin Harmon, NC State wide receiver. Did you see my, <laughs> mo- did you see my mock draft? Did you have him in the first round? Oh, I had him in the top 10, buddy. Top 10. He's, I, he's I don't a, know where I, where I had him in my top 100, but I definitely had him in there. He's a monster. I was, yeah. I watched, I mean, again, and this is what's, what's kind of cool to get ahead of a draft. I thought Ryan Finley could have come out this year, so I watched a lot of him and then he decided to come back. I think NC State's gonna be good too. I mean, even though you know, losing Jalen Samuels, Bradley Chubb, those guys. All of a sudden there's this six foot three, two hundred twenty-pound guy making these ridiculous catches on the sideline and getting yards after the catch. He had sixty-nine catches last year, over a hundred yards, around fifteen yards per catch, averaged over seventeen yards per catch uh two seasons ago. He's someone that I think hasn't reached his full potential. Um, because he is so young and is someone that might not be getting talked about um at the top of the draft, the top of the wide receiver class. But with Ryan Finley, who's a good quarterback, I think he's going to put up big stats in the ACC.
0: I, I think you're right. And, I mean, just while we're on that NC State wide receiver crew, I will tell you um to go also, while you're watching Harmon, go watch Steph Lewis, who's going to be a yep. redshirt junior, and Jacoby Myers. Who's gonna uh-huh. who who's lines up in the slot, who's gonna be a redshirt sophomore. This is gonna be a really interesting offense at NC State, not to make this an NC State podcast, but it's fine, whatever. Um, because they lost Naheem Hines, because they lost Jalen Samuels, they aren't gonna have the same sort of um explosiveness out of the backfield. But it's interesting that the the I think that the talent has really switched and shifted to to the wide receivers. They also have uh Ameka Emezi, who had a huge year against uh, maybe I'm wrong. Harmon will be a junior. Steph Lewis will be a redshirt senior, and, and Myers will be a redshirt, uh, uh junior. Excuse me, but uh, uh Amisi had a big game against Wake Forest late, and there's a ton of talent there. And it's really, if they can establish a running game, it'll be huge for Ryan Finley because he'll be able to spread the ball around and and throw it deep to those targets. He doesn't have the world's greatest arm strength,
1: but he he's he, Ryan Tannehill. He's Ryan Tannehill 2.0. Watch him, and it's like I could see. I see. How, the, yeah, just, just how he throws a lot of checkdowns. Kind of good down the field, but doesn't like to stretch it down the field. Like watching him, I was like, "This is Ryan Tannehill at Texas A and M."
0: Mm, I can see that comp, sort of look alike in the way that they mm-hmm, throw in the mm-hmm, stance too. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's a good thing, I guess, for being a first round pick. Maybe not a great thing for.
1: Yeah, it's kind of hard. Although to, Tannehill, I mean, Tannehill hadn't exactly had a
0: great, you know, uh, landing spot. What about? Uh, have you watched any of Debo Samuel out of uh, South Carolina? He, he got hurt early last year, but he. If you go back and watch the NC State South Carolina game in Week One. Samuel had a monster game.
1: Yeah, he's like your typical like make you miss yards after the catch, slot guy. And I think him almost getting hurt in a weird way was like a blessing in disguise because mm-hmm. I think he probably would have come out been like a third or fourth round pick and not and and wouldn't have been that high on the pecking order in terms of targets for the team that like drafted him. He's not Tavon Austin. I, I think he's more of a wide receiver than Austin was. I mean, Austin, isn't he going to be like a running back for the Cowboys? I read that today. Yeah, that they, so yeah, whatever. Um, Samuel is more of a wide receiver, and I think another year of experience playing in the SEC will be good for him. He, he could sneak into the back end of the first round or second round. Um So, yeah, just the draft layer always kind of makes it fun. I mean, College football Saturdays is like veg out from 12 o'clock noon until, you know, you're watching Utah, Washington at, pac 12 after dark, but yeah. just when you kind of know like, Hey, this guy could be a first round pick. This guy could be a second round pick. This guy's it's fun to watch it. stock is falling. Yeah. It like makes it more fun. To me,
0: who's, who's somebody good late at night to latch on to in those college football, in that stretch of college football games?
1: Like a pac 12 guy? Yeah.
0: Like see, so like I've, I, um, I have a friend who, uh, bet on San Diego State every weekend back when Donnell Pumphrey was there. And so like I would watch the games with him. This friend of mine. Yes. Friend. And, um, he would stay up late, and I would watch the games with him. Uh, and so we we all fell in love with Donnell Pumphrey. And so, like, I sort of got—I was always on the I was like the unofficial San Diego State like late night NFL cheerleader for whatever reason. Uh, so I'm always looking for a team to jump on board with. I also like Rashad Penny for that very reason. But um, I was I was always looking for a team to get on board a player to get on board with late late in those late Pac-12 Mountain West games.
1: Um, I mean obviously the headliner would be Bryce Love from Stanford. Yeah. I'm not yeah. I'm not really sure why he didn't come out. I mean, he's already been given the ball a ton and his resume looked like a first or a second round pick, but a lot of those Stanford guys, like they want to get their degrees, they're smart guys, so I mean we can't really bash him for that. Yeah. Um and not that this guy in his program is is as under the radar as, you know, San Diego State at eleven thirty. Um Miles Gaskin from Washington Ooh. is kind of like the Donald Pumphrey type. He's smaller, but he runs pretty hard. Um You know, inside makes a lot of guys miss. He's not, he's not going to break 70 yard runs. He kind of reminds me of Akram Wadley from Iowa, who I was kind of surprised went undrafted, but I think could, you know, ultimately carve out a, you know, third down back roll. Um, I think he had, he already has back to back thousand yard seasons at Washington. Um, they have their quarterback coming back, Jake Browning, who, Watching him live last year, I wasn't super impressed, but then rewatching him for like draft purposes, I was actually more impressed. Um, just with his pocket presence and and how good he was down the field. It's crazy the drop off he had from when he had John Ross to not having John Ross. He threw like forty touchdowns, and last year it was like twenty or thirty fewer touchdowns. But Miles Gaskin, if you want to stay running backs, you see Washington, Utah. It's uh, at that loud stadium in Seattle. Watch Miles Gaskin. He's a really fun, just like. Gritty, you know, hashtag gritty. Um, smaller running back who can actually run inside and just, you know, doesn't really go down on first contact, despite being probably under two hundred pounds.
0: All right, love it. That's uh, that'll do it for us on this Bills slash NFL draft Memorial Day podcast. Chris Trapasso at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. Check out uh, Southern Tier Brewing. You can check out <laughs> <this> <laughs> Tropical Torpedo. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Make sure and uh, make sure and uh, check out all Chris's stuff. At uh, at CBSSports.com. Thanks, man.
1: Thank you.